Hello, this is Dr. David Lakey, Commissioner of the Texas Department of State Health Services, and welcome to the TripCast, uh, which is guaranteed not to improve your health in the state of Texas. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the first week of January. I am joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Happy New Year, Revo. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And reporter Morgan Smith. Hello. So it's a new year. We're anticipating a new session, and we have some new election results that we should go over a little bit. Uh, They're new as of last night. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. Yeah, we're still filling out the legislature, I guess, after we have these three runoffs, maybe, and one more election. Are we done at that point? I'm not aware of anything else we have yeah. to do, but of course it's early, right? You well, what about people could quit? They could get appointed to stuff. They could uh, move on. What about on. the elections to replace the people that have been elected? Um, say, well, say Trey Martinez Fisher moves up to the Senate. You would then need a, pl- you a need special. A, right. That's correct. Then you need well, another one there. Well, so. well done. Yeah, so we'll be doing elections right. until the end of the session, probably. Maybe we'll just do an election a week. It looks like we're going to have an election a week. We had an election on Tuesday of this week. We have an election on Tuesday of next week. We've got the Martinez Fisher. Or They're going to have Menendez to call the runoffs. They haven't set a date for the runoffs, but one Correct. imagines it'll be fairly soon. Will Pretty it quick. be Governor Perry or Governor Abbott who, who I sets think it'll be this, Perry? You think who yeah. sets the special? So can we say what the results or who was running and what the results were? Uh, I don't have all the names in front Trey of Trey Martinez-Fisher, who's a House member in District 123, was running to replace Letitia Vandepute in Senate District 26. So she's running for mayor. She's running for mayor of San Antonio. His principal opponent was Jose Menendez, state representative from San Antonio. Uh, and it was uh, Martinez-Fisher and uh, uh, Menendez 1-2 in a it's field kind of, of a, I think, it's kind of an a field of fight. five maybe or four. Five. Do you Five. say Nintendo fight? Yeah, it's like, you know, Steve Mostyn is over here backing, Steve Mostyn and company over here backing Trey Martinez-Fisher. Well, wasn't Trey of counsel to Mostyn's firm? I think yeah. it was like literally a Mostyn. Texans for yeah. Lawsuit Reform over here on the other side behind Menendez. So you've sort of got these two giants with their Nintendo machines, and these are just the avatars. This is where we play the podcast of a few weeks ago where I said, I think TLR is going to be a factor in the race. And Ross looked at me and went, uh... I'm never right. <laughs> I'm, the one time Finally I was right. right. The okay, one time. Evan, Evan was right. Monkey at the typewriter. That was a pretty good like Ross that. impression, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More like the fox cat. Uh, fox it's more of a fox. That's an inside joke. Uh, but, you but can't so, even say the word fox cat. Yeah. That's I can't, Evan's I can't review even. of fox cat. So Trey, Trey <laughs> Martinez Fisher finished um, ahead uh, by 16, 17? He finished ahead by 18 points. 18 points. Right. It was the the smallest of the margins. He's at around 43%. Right. Um, and I came into Ross's office a few minutes before we taped the podcast, and I said, w- do you think there's a chance that anybody in this race or anybody else's race is going to drop out of the runoff? And basically, in the Martinez-Fisher-Menendez uh, case, uh, the likelihood of somebody dropping out you think is not I high. think the chances of that are just, you know, micro. I it, think they're tiny. What are the chances of coming back from a deficit that well, much? It in happens. Runoff? It happens. It happens. The three top candidates in that race got 89% of the vote. So the, the other two candidates, you throw out about 10%. And then, you know, you add 20% to either one of them, and um, you do a bunch more advertising. And it, and that's kind of where we get to the Nintendo game. Both sides are capable of either putting up the money or having the money put up for them to really prosecute this Think thing. of it another way. Race. There's a woman named Alma – what was her last name? Uh, Alma, who is the Republican candidate in this race. Right. She got 20, 18, 19%. The Republican votes aren't going to trade. 
Alma Perez Jackson. Alma Perez Jackson. They're not going to trade. So the question is, do they turn back out in the runoff? Because it's a terribly low turnout election. I went back and looked last night. So yeah, Trey, Trey got like 10,000 votes. Yeah, there's 19,000 votes total. So Trey got like 10,000 votes. I looked at the November elections and saw who, which, which Senate candidate elected in November had the smallest number of votes. It was John Whitmire. Right. And he got 74,000 votes. So we're going to elect so slightly more. We're going to elect <laughs> the new senator in Senate District 26 with 9,000 votes. I'd have to go back and look and see what Sylvia Garcia got. She in may not have gotten any more. Right. The point right. is the special yeah. election turnouts are abysmally low. Well, and the whole advertising thing was, you know, confused with conflated with Christmas and New Year's and all of that stuff. And, um, and a lot of special elections in San Antonio. You got right. the special election for Senate District 26, special election for um, uh, mayor, mayor, right. special election for Virial's, uh Seat. Uh, seat. seat. So, Special election coming probably for <laughs> Bernal's seat. Right. So the point on this is if the Alma Perez-Jackson votes stay the APJs. and they migrate to Menendez, they're not just APJ votes. They're anybody but TMF votes. And so the potential for Menendez's total to go up with the addition of those Republican votes exists. But the whole thing in the runoff is who's going to come out? How much does it matter that this won't be settled until – who knows when? Well, the Senate race, not so much, because Vandepute has said she's going to keep serving in the Senate until there's a replacement. So, you know, these are generally more or less slow startups. So she'll be there for the rules vote on the day after inauguration. Um, you know, she'll she'll be there for a minute anyway. So the, San Antonio is not going to go unrepresented. Um, and it's during kind of the low impact part of this, a couple of high points, but, but kind of during the low, um, the easy part of the session, uh, the start. So I don't, I don't think that's really going to be an issue. You home in San Antonio over the holidays? Yes, I was. Was there much talk about these races? Um, there's talk about the mayor's race, the Senate race, uh, not as much, at least in kind of my circles. But yeah, I'm not in that town. district. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, there was talk about the mayor's race, but also um, like Almo Heights doesn't vote in the San Antonio election either. So it's very much like the within the city boundaries. But yeah. So Trey got, you know, he did well and is in the lead, but he wasn't near 50. Um, uh, the Kleinschmidt replacement, this is HD 17. 17. Uh, yeah, Syrier got 48.7%. Much, I could see this is closer. the one race. This is the one race where I could see number two saying, I'm going to bag this. The and number two, Brent, Brent, Goleman's Brent Goleman, who's been around the Capitol. Son, he started. Right. Um, one of the a legislative tracking service called uh, Gallery Watch and that that didn't work out, but you know he's been around the Capitol for a while, um, and he got twenty six percent. So and that's a Republican Republican runoff, right? The Democratic in Democratic Republic, runoff. It's a Republican district. Is right. Trey's district, and then in the Villarreal seat, it's a Democrat finished first, Diego Bernal, the council member from San Antonio District One, and a Republican candidate finished in second, and that's that's a. Dem- it should be a Democratic district. Democratic but, district. but, again, it's these special elections. The turnout is so light in these things. Only 7,100 people voted in that. Uh, Bernal got 47.5% of the vote. Number two was at 21.3% of the vote. Nunzio uh, Previtera, I think. Previtera. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that if that one will drop kind out or not. It turned out the way – I mean, honestly, if you had sort of stood back from it and looked at it from Austin, which is dangerous, admittedly, you go, Trey's going to finish in first. 
Bernal is going to finish in first, right. and Serrier is going to finish in first. If you don't, and if you don't <laughs> your predictive about, powers are if, amazing. If, the day well, after the election, the, the day after an election, you got them all. Everybody right. is yeah. a goddamn genius. That's it. That's a truism. You know, and if you stand back a little bit and don't care about the personalities, it's the same same. Democrat for a Democrat, Republican for a Republican. Although, yeah. although Trey's disposition in the Senate, yeah, one one personality you sort of can't. Trey slams doors here. open, right? <laughs> Trey, Trey's going to be. In a Dan Patrick-led Senate, I'm popping the damn popcorn now. So he's sort of like he's sort of like uh, sort of like Dan Patrick was a little bit. Sort of uh, like the old tray. Yeah. <laughs> kind of put a red and white, you know, popcorn machine over by the press table. It would be great. Well, as we, as we wait for the legislature legislature to shake out, uh, we're also seeing uh, Dr. Lakey, who did our intro. You know, he's moving on. He's a Perry you know, shaking out. Ta-ta. Yeah, he's, he's moving from uh, the Department of State Health Services over to the University of Texas system and UTL Health Science Center, Tyler, at from, the end of the month. From whence he came. Right. Right. This is where he came to the health department from. So are we expecting the other Rick Perry appointees to suddenly start jumping ship to make way for Abbott appointees? Like, or for instance, Michael, will Michael Williams be the head of TEA under Greg Abbott? I think he will, at least um, for the duration of the legislative session. Um, I don't think we're going to see a new face at the head of the TEA. Um, I think there was some talk earlier on um, that Michael Williams might be ready to, to finish up and make way for someone new, but now I think that... Um, that he's going to stay. Have his 18th so. job in 19 years. I, th- yeah. I think that's yeah. the magic phrase. Yeah. The duration of the legislative session. I think that's going to apply in a lot of cases. All right, so Janik stays? People. I don't know if Janik makes it. Uh, this this scandal is a real problem. They've got the consolidation of the five agencies into one giant agency with something like 54,000 employees. We should back up and say who Janik is and Kyle, what the scandal is. Kyle Janik's is. the commissioner. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's that one-name music guy Katie Vine wrote about he's, years ago, He's right? the commissioner Jan- of the state's commissioner on health and Su- human services, and um, you know they've got a contracting scandal going over there, and with Jack Stick and um, so on and so forth. And I, I think that they've got you know he, this is a political problem. He's a political problem for a new administration, even if they like him. He Janik, and it's a, and it's an easy thing, a Jack, relatively easy thing to Jack be a reformer. Jack Stick is here. the lawyer of the Health and Human Services, he was the general counsel, and the guy overseeing the contracts. Right, and Mark Strom, Mark Stroma beat up in that Williamson County, so, and they have, they have a contract problem over there basically yeah they've got a couple of contract problems they've got a, a big one on a on a thing that was designed to ferret out fraud waste and abuse in medicaid contracts they've got another um percolating scandal on an at&t contract um and i i just you know janik's been over there for several years he's a former senator former house member pretty well respected he's an anesthesiologist um but i think that this is one of those moments when a new administration comes in and Cleans house and starts over. Lop his sunset. head off, and then you go. We're there's start a sunset fresh. review here. They might they might stick with him through the session, but there's a sunset review here to remake the agency. It's a it's a place where you could, if you wanted to, start with a clean slate. Janik, of course, was uh, initially Perry's. Perry was thinking he might try to get him as the chancellor of the UT system, but they also have new blood over there. Well, and he was rumored for a while. You know, he showed he kept showing up in rumors as chief of staff to this incoming person, to that incoming person. Um, None of that turned out to be true, but um, you know he's a he's a well respected guy. But you know just the way this situation lands at the beginning of a new administration, that's uh, as a, just as a as a piece of politics. But you're correct. Hard, had he it's hard to his, imagine him keeping had, that job. Had he played his cards right, this would have been his first couple of days as chancellor of the UT system, or had cards been played in a different way. Yeah, instead, if uh, he had any cards, Bill McRaven <laughs> has started his first day of cha- as chancellor. Is he now Bill? 
Bill McRaven? That's his Twitter handle, at Bill McRaven. He's been tweeting up a storm. Seems a little f- Has he really? Informal. <laughs> you know, once you retire. Bill. What's that guy's name? William Powers? No, no, Bill Powers. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Touche. <laughs> Very well. No, it's a UT thing. There are no Williams at UT. All Bill. All Bill. Only Bill. Everyone's a Bill. Right. Uh, Send me a Bill. So you, think mo- so you think most people will last the legislative session and then we'll see... I think, you know, if he's going to remake, to the extent that he's going to remake the executive branch, you know, by resignations or people moving on, I think most of that will happen June, July, afterwards. He's got time. Well, he he also has a ton of other things he has to get done in the way of appointments that aren't forcing people out. It's actually A lot of things come up very quickly. You know, for instance, in your world, Reeve, the regental appointments are coming up in about a month, and everyone's eyes are going to be on those, and in particular on the ones down the street. Right. Right? And we've got to see where that's going. They're not all coming up. The UTs are coming up in February. Nobody else's are coming up now? Not soon? Well, they're some are. It's just it's. They're not all uniform. They're scattered. Uh, uh, But UTs are the ones people will be paying attention to. But the process, in any case, the process begins. Right. Where he gets to appoint some, and I think he'll have to appoint some to every one of the system boards at some point, right? In yeah, he'll next. have three on each of the nine-member boards in, in the calendar year. year? In yeah. the calendar year. Yeah. Right. yeah. And a lot of those come up in February. Some of them come mm-hmm. up a little bit later. Yeah. But he's going to, you know, and that's sprinkled throughout government. It takes six years six years to go all the way through the appointments, the way they're staggered. Um, and so he can, he can just fill his, you know, get his appointing kick on open slots rather than pushing people out if he so desires. Right. Yeah. But there'll be some places where people look up and say, you know, I'm tired of doing this. I'm going to give, you know, the new guy a chance to appoint somebody new. There'll be some of that that's not necessarily punitive. It's not necessarily somebody saying I got fired. It's just saying I want to give the new guy his shot. You know, the the legend of this stuff is that the incoming governor or chief executive has – you know, whatever number of appointees it is, 5,000, say. you got 5,000 resignation letters on your desk on January 20th, and it's a question of which ones you All the king's men, right? That's Huey Long, right? right? Yeah. Right. Well, as we uh, move on from that topic, <laughs> let's look forward to the first day of the legislative session, which should be just a very exciting time, not least because of all the guns <laughs> at the Capitol, which Morgan's going to tell us about. That's right. So as a part of a push to uh, legalize the open carry of handguns this session, there's going to be um, an armed open carry rally at the Capitol. This is where um, people who are participating in the rally carry uh, long long guns, rifles, shotguns, which are you are allowed to carry those openly in Texas um, while they're at the rally. And then as an added twist at this rally, there is going to but be... But wait, there's more. Yeah, there is more. <laughs> um, there is going to be a demonstration of um, of um, a machine known as the Ghost Gunner that is essentially a 3D printer that works in metal. It's called... Um, it's, I think, technically called a CNC milling machine. But it is able to uh, manufacture... You're just, you're just guessing that it's yeah, probably I'm called a guessing. CNC milling I'm just guessing. Uh, but it's able to manufacture the lower receiver of an AR-15, and that's the part of the weapon that's... it's That is legally considered a firearm, but it still needs a barrel and a trigger and a few other parts to actually function. Um, but So that's going to be taking place. And um, it's, it's produced some division even among open carry advocates. There's disagreement over whether tactics like armed rallies are effective in bringing support over to the cause. There's actually a second open carry rally this month where um, people are going to be carrying empty holsters instead of actual weapons. Uh, So it it should be a pretty interesting um, 
it should just be a very interesting conversation about that is taking place about all of this. Carrying empty holsters sounds a lot less um, provocative, titillating. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you you get you have to wonder who among the people who's not already in the open carry movement is going to be attracted to an event where you know like that. Is is this the kind of thing that's going to say, oh, that's a good idea. I think I'll go over there. You know, bring your own gun or we'll print one for you. Um, Will it, they be it, shooting any of these printed guns? I, I don't think they'll no. be shooting anything. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think if anybody sh- shoots anything, shoot I think they're moving backwards. Gun? I think that's – otherwise, you, it's other. if you can't, then it's not a gun. There's – well, so there's another uh, a 3D a gun. Cur- available. Metal, yeah. Right? There's a one-shot pistol that can actually be printed through, like, a traditional 3D printer out in plastic. And Traditional it's, used pretty loosely here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a <laughs> HP 3000 it's a design, Yeah. But it's a plastic pistol that is – it's one shot, and then it's uh, – like disintegrates. Um, but if you're good, what's that's the John Malkovich movie where he's the yeah. he's the assassin that uses the plastic pistol? Anybody <laughs> doubt that that uh, that this is going to pass? This is going to be a bill that's going to. It's already. You mean open carry? So yeah. the fight is going to be over whether it's open carry for people that get a license to do it, or if it's open carry without a license. Constitutional carry, exactly. Right, right, right. What's what? Yeah, what Front, some people are calling constitutional justice. carry. Yeah, right. and so right now you can open carry a shotgun, you can open carry a rifle without having a license. Um, but if you want to carry a handgun, it has to be concealed, and you have to go through a licensing process for that. So I think that there's that there are a lot of indications that some form of open carry of handguns. Open versus concealed and licensing yeah. versus non-licensed. Yeah, I think the fight is, is going to be licensed versus non-licensed, non-licensed open carry of handguns. Well, of course, we're also, I mean, seeing if they'll, they're going to pass campus carry this session, right. which is something that you would think they, would be a pretty easy sell in a conservative legislature, but they've really struggled to pass that in is, the last is few Is there sessions. a single, I mean, just off the top of your head, is there a single university administration or system administration that thinks cap- that has come out for campus carry or university police chief no i don't think anyone has come out for it i think people have said like hey, we don't really care but this some is, that are pretty and, apathetic and this is this is i think an interesting conversation that will be a uh, kind of a condiment mm-hmm. in all the you know throughout all the session which is this notion of i'm for local control except for when i'm not you know you talk to people about fracking bans or the desire of some in San Antonio, for instance, to come back to San Antonio to increase the state, the, uh, pardon me, the sales tax to pay for pre-K or in Austin and Travis County to raise property taxes to pay for a medical school. Well, we don't like it when people vote higher taxes. Yeah, but you're for local control. So either you're for people deciding or not. There's a version of this on campus carry, I think, or you'll begin to hear an argument about that. Well, if the campuses and the police chiefs and the presidents, what have you, don't want this, then they should be able to say local control. We don't want it. Well, the difference here is that that's a state entity, right? But it's still local control, and and people feel like it's a you know some people feel like it's a constitutional right, right. which you can't have co- local control to. But but the but the squash. argument to push right. back against this, I'm I'm kind of parroting what has been the argument against it up to this point, and what is likely to be the argument up against it. In the future, which is if we who run these campuses and we who run these university police chiefs, police departments don't want this on our campuses, why are you making it so that we have to have it? And I think that's going to – I think there will be a tension there, and I think you're going to hear the same thing on other issues. Well, and Lo- we, local control is local control, full stop. We were talking about new blood and, and – I mean with issues like this I – mean, with this issue specifically and I assume others, you know, you have different players now. I'm thinking Absolutely. specifically, you know, Sigaroa, the outgoing – UT system chancellor, every session would put out 
uh, the same letter actually. They're just saying like, look, this is not a good idea. It's not safe to have. Uh, so what are you students in, carrying guns on what, campus? What has Bill told you? But no, but I think if if <laughs> this guy who you know helped lead the uh, raid against Bin Laden, uh, you know, he has some authority and some I think lawmakers might listen to him on. Uh, this is a good uh, idea. This is a bad issues. idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. So it'll be interesting to see if he chooses to weigh in or if he chooses to not weigh in I, and how I, he weighs I in. I predict they won't listen to him. I'm, well, just gonna, I'm just going to say unless he tells them what they want to. The, yeah. What they think, yeah. I mean, I think I think that this legislature, in a in a broad sense, we know who these people are to a large degree, and we know what they think because they've been perfectly happy to tell us. And now we're going to see how this goes. I mean, I, I think there's what, what's what's really interesting to me about this session as you began this discussion. You know, the coming aboard of these people and swearing in on the, next Tuesday and the beginning is. There's not a lot of mystery about the things that the people elected. I'm I'm curious to see sort of within that. I'm cu- curious to see if there are any issues that they want to talk about but not vote on. You know, a lot of times in politics you'll say, you know, I'm going to rhetorically be really out there on X, whatever X is, but for God's sake, don't make me vote on that, that because then that I'll be would on record. Be, that would be you know, for Democrats. It used to be transparency, though. Yeah, for for Democrats, it used to be, you know, for years here, it was um, I don't want to vote on abortion. But I want to be pro-choice when I'm running. And, you know, that one's gone. But some other things might have moved in here. They might, you know, do all of the Republicans want to vote on the difference between open carry or constitutional carry? You know, and what do you want to say the first time there's some law broken there that involves guns? You know, I mean, it puts them into a political box. I'm just curious to see if there are things. The box they're in is a box that they're making because they've said we're going to pass this thing. And at this point, if they don't pass it, then that's the problem. Maybe nothing goes into this category. Maybe they vote on everything and this is a pure, you know, existential Those 9,000 people that come out to vote will really hold their feet to the fire. And there are factions within the Republican Party that want to have that vote to point. They want to have that box. And and I think that, yeah, they want that distinguishing vote on constitutional versus open carry, And you know, In the Senate, Reeve, there was a story in the Chronicle today, and I, I saw a headline but didn't actually click it to a story in the Statesman that I think was a similar deal about Kirk Watson's comments on the two-thirds rule mm-hmm. within the last day or so. Right, in his newsletter right. thing that he that puts out. Watson, Watson, Watson says basically yeah. two-thirds rule shows over, mm-hmm. right? The explanation of the two-thirds rule in the Chronicle story focused on this idea that what the two-thirds rule has done in large part over time has been to protect members of both parties from, these kinds of issues. from having to cast votes that they would like mm-hmm. not to cast. I'm a rural Republican. Do I really right. want to vote on vouchers? Right. Right? That so, kind of issue. So if right. indeed Watson is correct and, you know, you whip the vote, you got 20 Republicans, you only need 16 right. to uh, unmake the two-thirds rule come rules vote day, which would really in this case be the 21st because you're going to no, have – The day after the – You're going to have fake right. rules vote day, which is after – the members are sworn in, but Dewhurst is still lieutenant governor. Then you're going to have real rules vote day, which is the day after Patrick is sworn in. Right. If indeed on the 21st we see the disappearance of the two-thirds rule, it's going to be much harder to avoid those kinds of votes because the kind of people who are in the majority in the Senate in particular are the kind of people who are, to Morgan's point, are saying we want people on the record on this stuff. We want to cleanse the party of squishes. And the greatest protection for squishes is to be able to hide behind a procedural mechanism that doesn't require that they say what they're for. So the issues, if, to, the issues that are going to be interesting to watch are the ones that separate where a member is stuck between party district and, and party, district, right. Right? right? What about uh, when you have the speaker's vote, if that goes to a vote, and then what if the results show that the squishes have the uh, majority? 
Does that change? The squishes the... have the majority. Yeah, does, does... His phone number is 512. <laughs> That's usually the kind of shit that I would have said. Oh, my yeah. God. No, but, you know, I mean, once. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's watch him paddle Please. for a minute. Exactly. No, glug, no. Glug, 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 glug. I think you're going under. Somebody save him. I'm sorry. If you have, like, a clear measurement of who actually has the power. Right. Does that change the these dynamics? Well, I think, you know, I, um, I, I think that if you challenge somebody and you don't mount much of a challenge, you've showed yourself to be weak. And I think that the, the challengers in this case and the, the people that vote for Scott Turner, I think, have set themselves up for the kind of failure that can make you an untouchable in a session. And sometimes that works out over time. You know, the, the people who were against Tom Craddock took two or four or six years to, get back to come around and get back into the thing. But do start the session off with everybody saying, I don't have to listen to you. You can't make a fist. All right, so 24 people voted against John Boehner yesterday, right? 24, 25, something like that. Something like that. Right? Okay, so immediately Boehner busted two of them who were on the House Rules Committee, threw them off the Rules Committee. Retribution. Okay. So yesterday, not necessarily tied to the Boehner vote, but just because, and I thought it was interesting not knowing what it was exactly about, but thinking what I knew it was about. Jeff Leach, who is an on-the-record <laughs> supporter of Turner's, tweeted yesterday something on a paraphrase. When did it become wrong to vote your conscience without retribution coming. Now, you had a column in the Tribune today that talked about sort of around this very issue. And so here's my two-part question for everybody up here. One is, what's your – because this is the last podcast before the speaker's vote. What is your Scott Turner vote total predicted? And do you think Strauss will send the people who vote for Turner – to, you know, Germany for the whole session on a committee that, you know, meets in a bunker? I think 19, and to the victor goes the spoils. You don't have to say I'm punishing that person. You just reward the people who helped you, and there aren't any more slots left after you're through passing out rewards. It's not necessarily punishment. It's just I didn't get to you in line. You were at the back. You put yourself at the back of the line when things were being handed so out, knowing you were going to be So you think you plausibly say it's not retribution? You know, one side will say it's retribution and one side will say it's not. I think, you know, the real test of this comes a little bit later in the session when you come around and you say on this issue or that one, which may not be a partisan issue, right? Maybe it's whiskey at Walmart. Maybe it's Uber or Tesla or something like that. Can you still talk to the people who were outsiders about coming to your side for a vote? Do you still work with them or do you just take these 19 or 20 or 24, however many people it is, and put them in a box and – don't open it until after Memorial Day. Because the Strauss guys don't need the Tea Party guys on the Speaker's vote, but they may need them on some other votes. That's exactly Democrats right. Democrats are aligned against them. Right. right. And they're going to need them. You know, there's there's 700 budget fights ahead of us. What's your number, Morgan? I don't – I'm not going to give a number. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going uh, to do the Price is Right thing and just say one vote. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I will say on, on retribution, I will say that I think supporters obviously get rewarded and then – Retribution, I think, maybe some publicly, but then behind the scenes, there are you know you mend you mend fences, you work together when you can, um, and you reach out on you know individual battles. I I don't think that it's going to be a, a, a very public you know sending to Siberia of of anyone. That's also not Strauss's style. Generally. Yeah, right. Well, and you can't go to Siberia if you weren't in, you know, Stalingrad in the first place. I mean, if these guys weren't, I don't weren't know geography weren't, enough. If, if they weren't, if they weren't, <laughs> chair, if they weren't chairing committees or something, there's not anything necessarily to take away. 
And and also, I mean, right. you know, the answer to Leach's question is sort of, you know, it's sort of as long as there have been politics and people in power, probably, that if right. you vote against the person who has the power, that's not going to turn right. out well quote, for you. To quote Kel Seliger <laughs> in another context, taking the retribution out of voting against the guy in charge is like taking the, po- the calories out of fried chicken. <laughs> right? What's your number? My number is actually uh, lower than yours. My number is 15. I think what you're going to have in the end – I saw Raul Labrador, who is the revered Tea Party member in the U.S. House from Idaho. A Tea Party guy through and through. Um, say yesterday, following the Boehner vote, something to the effect of there's no point in voting against a guy who's going to win. It's not going to accomplish anything, just doing it for the sake of it, and it ultimately limits your ability to get things done. The the intellectual framework on the speaker's vote has been not so subtly shifted away from Turner's going to win to it's not about the votes on January 13th. It's about the agenda for the entire session. So many of these guys who are supporting Turner are already looking past the vote. If that's the case, if you're not trying to win the battle, but you're trying to win the war or at least be an active combatant in the war, then the question becomes, do you cast a vote that's a protest vote, a vote on principle, which is perfectly legitimate? Right. With the question open in your mind whether it's going to compromise your ability to win the war. Well, here's the other question that's sort of underneath that. What are the I'm Democrats going to do? For against. What are the Democrats going to do? Most of them have been silent about this. You know, it's sort of like, you know, they don't want necessarily a more conservative speaker than Strauss, but they don't necessarily want a speaker as conservative as Strauss. Do they just vote no? Do they sit down? Usually when you get to this point in a session, Everybody just goes, just do it by acclamation. What we won't come out on this What do one. they have, though? I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree But there's more of them than there are of these dissenters. Yeah, they but could, what are they, yeah, they going to do? What, are they just going to put up somebody for the sake of it? Let's, let's wait and find out. Why don't we? <laughs> Everyone, is, that's no fun. Next time on Serial. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can come back and hear how wrong we were next week. Exactly. Uh, you think Adnan's going to be speaker? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, if he gets out of jail. But what about Jay? Jay Root? <laughs> Is he in jail? That's who, that's who, that's who killed Hay. <laughs> Jay <Sorry>. Root. <laughs> we don't want to libel Jay Root here on the on He's the not here to defend himself. If you have any uh, thoughts about Serial or any of the other things we've talked about, please send questions and comments to tribcast at org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Morgan Ross, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Texas talking about Texas talking baby Texas talking baby I love Peaky Blinders I haven't, oh, I haven't started it yet. The haircuts get on my nerves. I was thinking about doing it. <laughs> Thank you for really bringing the substance, Morgan. That's good. 